This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Have you ever stopped to wonder how or if you will be remembered a hundred years from now? Better still, let's be a bit more dramatic. How about, say, a thousand years from now? Well, I suppose for most of us that elicits a good laugh, but you and I know that there are those rare individuals whose lives and accomplishments are so impressive that the annals of time have kept the memories of their achievements very much with us. And what I find so amazing are those very special ones who sought not to stand out, but who would have preferred to live their lives in the shadows of anonymity. And one such person... Well, he is our story for today. And instead of being lost in the shadows of the long-forgotten past, this quiet person stands tall as a powerful saint of the Catholic Church. But I'm getting pretty far ahead of my story. Maybe it would be well to quote again a saying of Longfellow that certainly defines our subject of today when he wrote, Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime, and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. So, to start our story, we have to turn the pages of the calendar back to the year 1090, to a castle-like home in a village near Dijon in France, where a baby named Bernard was born into a family of royalty. Little Bernard would become the third of six boys and one sister. He would lose his mother at an early age, but before her passing, she had provided Bernard and, indeed, all of his siblings with a good foundation in the faith, and they had been exposed to the best schools as well as the very best teachers. This was a good family who did not take their wealth for granted, but looked to the future with enthusiasm. As he was growing up, many of the townspeople looked to Bernard as as someone who would be a great achiever. He had a serious but also a pleasant personality, and many expected him to rapidly climb the ladder of prosperity and success. Well, he wrestled with the many paths that were available to him. His early years passed quickly, and as he entered his early twenties, the time had come for him to settle on his future goals. He carried himself well and would do well in business or the government, yet there was one trait to which he would stubbornly cling, and that was he could never compromise with anything that was not moral or good. He had an unyielding aversion to things that were wrong or even hinted at being slightly evil. Undoubtedly, much of his character was due to the early efforts of his mother. Around the age of about 22, his father, who had been a great warrior himself and was known as the Lord of Fontaines, asked Bernard what great path did he wish to choose. Perhaps even the glamour and excitement of the king's court as a royal knight would be a possibility. 
His future could almost be assured of anything he wanted to do or to achieve. So great were the expectations of him. It was then that Bernard, after much soul-searching, finally revealed his choice. Oh, yes, it would be great to be a royal and serve the king, but he had another king he preferred to serve. He wished to serve in the church. I'm sure there was a momentary feeling of disappointment to his father, but he assured Bernard that he, the Lord of Fontaines, had great influence and would be able to see that Bernard could be received in any one of France's great monasteries, where probably in a very short time he might even be named a bishop. Well, Bernard already knew where he was being called. Oh, yes, there were some monasteries that were large with comfortable surroundings. Those were the ones his father was espousing. But that was not what Bernard had in mind. His father encouraged him to think about it, give it some thought. So, ever obedient, Bernard agreed to think about it. And yet, there was the spirituality of Citeaux that seemed to be calling him. Now, what was so special about Citeaux? Well, I don't pretend to be an expert on such matters, but we do know that some of the monasteries of that day, while giving up many of the luxuries of the outside world, still maintained some facets of comfort in their daily lives. We cannot say that they were not religious or that they did not serve God well. But as today, some were simply more austere than others, and Citeaux certainly fit that category. Stephen Harding, the abbot of Citeaux, who would one day be known as St. Stephen, had left the monastery at Cluny for the strictness of Citeaux, perhaps because his reasoning was that if one wanted to follow Christ— then it would be necessary for him to, in Christ's words, pick up your cross and follow me. Well, Citeaux would be the place where one would give up everything in order to gain everything and serve God to the very fullest. That had been Stephen's dream, and after several years there, well, times were those that test a man's soul. The crops were failing, there was a famine and other natural disasters, the monks became thinner, and the numbers of new monks seemed to dry up. As Abbot Stephen prayed, even harder for God's intervention, one could almost say that Citeaux was on the verge of closing, and yet Stephen continued to bombard heaven with his prayers. He lived in constant fear that Citeaux would soon be empty and thereby have to close. There seemed to be little hope, but he continued to pray. Now, back to Bernard, he gave his father's wish at least a chance to become a knight. But once when he had mounted his steed, he was certain that he heard his late mother's voice saying to him, Bernard, It was not for the vanities of the earth that I brought you up with such tender care. Although it didn't change his mind completely, it did provide a bit of a jolt. 
he was still uncertain about his future. And then one day, once again riding throughout the countryside, when he seemed that he heard another voice, powerful and clear, a voice saying, Come to me, come to me, all you that labor and are burdened, and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your soul. That was it. It was like a thunderbolt, and he got the message loud and clear. Shortly thereafter, Bernard reached his father and his father's troops as they were about to go into battle, and he announced that he had reached a decision about his future. He was certain that God was calling him to become a Cistercian monk at Citeaux, and he was going to answer God's call and become a saint, to which his father immediately replied, You can also become a saint in the world. The young man agreed, but added that he, Bernard of the House of Fontaine, will become a Cistercian saint, because that's the way God wants it. Well, I personally believe that he was probably using the word saint to reflect a life of holiness, prayer, and doing God's will to the best of his ability. Just as Mother Angelica says so often, we are all called to be saints. Bernard's father recognized the sincerity of his son, and with an aching heart and bitter disappointment, wished him well in his undertaking. As an aside, I sometimes wonder how many times God is speaking to us and trying to nudge us in a particular way, and we refuse because it's not something we really want to do, or because it's too hard and we have to put our wishes first. After all, tomorrow is another day. Well, anyway, having made his final determination for his future, it was as though a heavy weight had been removed from his shoulders, and Bernard was literally on fire. He was so filled with the prospect of his future and the opportunity of actually doing something himself for God that he also wanted to share this joy with as many as he could. Well, quite naturally, he would start with his family and then proceed to his friends, and then just about anyone with whom he would come in contact. And there is one talent that we must emphasize that he had, and that was the power of communication. He would not just give the facts clearly, but support them with knowledge, conviction, and perhaps more importantly, his own personal beliefs. Where would he start? Well, with his family, of course, and then his friends, and then those with whom he would meet. Well, recognizing the high status of the family, one by one he would convince his brothers to join him in his journey to the Abbey of Citeaux. But then he approached his brother Guy, who was married, and, and though he was convinced that Guy wanted to go and Guy was certain that he also should join him, this would require the mutual consent of both spouses, and Guy's wife refused. But a short time later, she called for Bernard. She was very ill and confided to Bernard that she had always had a secret yearning for the religious life, and said, 
perhaps I too should not ignore my true vocation. With that, she was instantly cured and agreed to let her husband join Bernard as she herself would enter the convent. God does work wonders if we let him. Well, within a short time, all of Bernard's brothers, even Navard the youngest, would eventually go. Meanwhile, back at Citeaux, Abbot Stephen was attending to a dying monk, asking him to implore God for more men when the monk was called to judgment. The monk promised, and Stephen knew that God, somehow that God in his infinite mercy would answer his prayers. Well, you can only imagine the reaction of Abbot Stephen at Citeaux, who was worrying about the possible closure of Citeaux, and then looking out the abbey to see Bernard of Fontaine, who was accompanied by thirty men arriving at the monastery gates, wishing to become Cistercian monks at the abbey. That gives real meaning to the phrase, God's will be done. Perhaps that's something, too, for all of us to remember. Well, as you can imagine, Abbot Stephen asks, What do you want here? And Bernard, kneeling, replied, Only God's mercy and yours. And so began the long journey of Bernard of Fontaines. Their life at the monastery wasn't easy. The men knew that beforehand. The men had not entered because they were virtuous. They had entered to become virtuous with a sublime desire to know not just Christ, but to be close to the crucified Christ. And so the early years passed quickly. And holiness is a magnet. Bernard toiled, as it were, in the vineyard, and his holiness and dedication came not only... Well, not only as an example, but as a true magnet. There was a phrase used to define life in the monastery. It was simple and to the point. If you desire to live in this house, leave your body behind. Only spirits can enter here. Life, as I said, was not easy. It was a continuing hardship, with often their meals consisting of, well, of nothing more than wild berries and perhaps boiled beech leaves serving as vegetables. But this was the life they chose to become closer to God. This was their decision of their own free will, with Bernard their living example. The growth of Citeaux had not been without cost to Bernard. He had developed serious stomach problems, undoubtedly from his tireless efforts of evangelization and personal mortifications. The local bishop astutely recognized what was happening and received permission from the Cistercians that he, the bishop, would have temporary authority over Bernard and that Bernard would, well, he would live in a small shelter outside the monastery for one year to recover his health. This would also allow him additional time for prayer and reflection without the everyday distractions and pressures he had been under. And as the months passed and he finally returned to Citeaux, Bernard's father and his younger brother had given up their fortunes and joined the order too. 
We could only imagine the great gifts that God had bestowed on Bernard, where the soil was fertile and the harvest was great. Apart from the thirty men who accompanied him at first, more and more men were now seeking to serve God in Citeaux in such numbers that Abbot Stephen Harding recognized the need to found another monastery to handle the many new applicants. So he sent twelve men under the leadership of Bernard to Langres. But times were tough and the going was hard. The entire area was suffering so badly that the people of the village called their area the Valley of Bitterness. The men at the new monastery suffered so greatly that Bernard spent many hours praying in the chapel. And then, as he was bathed in his own tears one evening, he heard a voice in the chapel that said, Arise, Bernard, your prayer is heard. Everything changed immediately. The people, the monks, everyone in the valley. So great was the change that the people even changed the name from the Valley of Bitterness to the Valley of Brightness. And the word that conveyed that meaning of brightness was clairvaux. Those men who had ignored the needs of the monastery were now of their own volition bringing foods and and supplies that they were happily donating for the monastery. And it even had a new name now, and so did Bernard. He would now and forever be known as Bernard of Clairvaux. And though he had preferred the life of an anonymous monk, Bernard's fame began to spread because of his holiness. The depth of his preaching, well, and his common sense approach to spreading the word of Christ attracted so many. It might be said that he was becoming a legend before his time. The numbers were becoming so great that more monasteries had to be created, and God's pleasure with Bernard became even more visible. Then the miracle started. He would cure many people of their different illnesses by simply making the sign of the cross over them. His preaching struck home. The magnetism of his personal piety and holiness were drawing masses to the faith. For example, his preaching had drawn one of the men of his day to the monastery of Cluny, and this man, who had become a cardinal of the church, Cardinal Peter de Leon, after the death of one of the popes, became a contender to the throne of Peter. But over the years, this man had dreams of personal advancement with the goals of the papacy. However, in the election of a new pope, Another cardinal was elected, taking the name Pope Innocent II. The cardinal from Cluny was able, with the help of several monarchs, to challenge the election of Innocent II, and thereby creating a schism within the church that became so dangerous for Innocent II that he left Rome seeking sanctuary in France for a time. And, of course, this became a primary threat to the faith. There could not be two popes. Only one could become pope. So what happened? How would this tremendous obstacle be resolved? Very simply, the leaders of the church wished 
wishing to proceed according to rules and tradition, well, they decided to seek out one man with the integrity and knowledge of the faith, along with the ability to be an effective communicator who would solve this schism. I doubt it there was much discussion, because the name Bernard of Clairvaux was immediately raised. With trembling conviction, he accepted the challenge and methodically evaluated both claims to the papacy from every angle. And, of course, all of this contained a healthy, very healthy mixture of prayer, and then his decision was reached. He presented his findings that the rightful position of Pope could go to none other than Innocent II, and he was accepted then as Pope. However, Cardinal de Leon, who had taken the name of Anacletus, would not give in, and he was busily drumming up support for his challenge to the papacy. But Bernard could not stand by and see this schism continue, and his very words and reasoning were enough to eventually end the schism and save the papacy of Innocent II, who was so grateful that he personally visited Clairvaux. Bernard's deepest wish was to remain an anonymous religious in the monastery of Clairvaux, but he was constantly called away to preach and solve one problem after another. And everywhere he went and spoke, more and more men would decide that they were more important things in the world than money, position, and prestige. There was the service to God. As soon as he would return to Clairvaux, more calls would be received by Bernard, and and he would carefully evaluate the need, and if he felt it would be better for him to personally become involved, he would reluctantly leave Clairvaux and attend to the problem, not just in Italy, but wherever he was needed to protect the church and the faith. Bernard had a positive influence on so many people, it appeared obvious to many that he was a true instrument of God. For example, one of Bernard's greatest friends was an Irish bishop whose goal was to protect and enhance the gift of monasticism in the Irish monasteries, which of course was the important belief of Bernard, and several of the Irish young men followed Bernard back to Clairvaux. One of the young men would one day be elected Pope, taking the name of Eugenius III. And again, Bernard offered the new Holy Father sound advice. Eugenius was a kind and retiring man, and Bernard looked on him with fatherly concern, and he wrote a special book called On Consideration, covering the obligations of the pontifical office as well as the need for the Holy Father to be devoted to self-examination and contemplation and how to practice these blessings. Well, this book has been a source of great benefit and use by a succession of popes down through the years. Well, as the years passed, Bernard's life and everyday activities were like a repetition of the past. Wanting to remain an anonymous monk at Clairvaux, he was constantly on the move. 
One of the brothers accompanying him on his journeys would keep a record of the day's activities. One, for example, was a brother Gerard would write, and I quote, Today the miracles seem to be redoubled. The crowds follow us everywhere, and the fields are as full as a town. A mother brought a girl who had been deaf and dumb from birth. Bernard put his hands on her, and immediately the girl could speak and hear. End of quote. But that was just one sampling. Another brother wrote, and again I quote, I made careful inquiries about all that had happened and found out that today Bernard has healed one blind girl, three deaf persons, one cripple, and five blind men. End of quote. He was so highly regarded that he was offered the chair of Peter to be Pope on more than one occasion, and quickly and firmly declined, feeling unworthy for such an exalted position. Someone once wrote, He was not the Pope, but he was the conscience of the age. I think that is one of the most key descriptions of his life. You know, we all need someone to be the conscience of our age. During Christmas in 1146, Bernard was called to Spain, and Bernard preached the great love for the Mother of God, and perhaps that was the secret of his greatness, his dedication to the Mother of God. She was his anchor, and her sole mission to him was bringing souls to God. On October 20th in 1153, at the age of 63, God called Bernard home. He had been an abbot for 38 years and had seen 68 monasteries started by the monks of Clairvaux. One historian said of him, he carried the 12th century on his shoulders, I might add, on his pure and broad shoulders. In 1174, 20 years after his death, Pope Alexander II canonized him a saint, and on July 23, in 1830, Pope Pius VIII declared St. Bernard of Clairvaux a doctor of the church. Of course, Bernard had his share of temptations, too. We all do, but he depended on Our Lady to keep him from sin, and she helped him to say no. After he had been tempted and overcame a particular temptation, he composed a prayer. I'm sure you've heard it before. It's for our protection, too, against sin. He wrote, Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petition, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Well, maybe we ought to carry that prayer with us and And when we or our children are faced with temptations, 
We can follow St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who still works to save our souls, and left that special prayer for us. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.